Leadership File on Premier. It's my joy to welcome you to The Leadership File, the show that aims to help you lead as Christ would have you lead wherever he has placed you. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and whether you listen live on a Sunday or one of the many thousands who catch up via the podcast, it's great that you can join us. So this show looks to showcase uh, good leadership practice and inspire you with examples of people who take God seriously and see his work prosper. But of course, we would be naive if we thought that just because someone is dedicated to being a Christian leader, they're immune to the temptation of abusing their position. I'm joined this week by Christian Zerko, who is the founder of the Dialogue Centre UK, a non-denominational Christian organisation that offers assistance to the members and ex-members of abusive religious, political and philosophical groups uh, and to their family and friends. His work includes, of course, those affected by what might be called uh, cults, but also those in more conventional churches who've been affected by extreme authoritarian and sectarian approaches. Uh, American-born, uh, Christian has been involved in this ministry for over 40 years, working in the UK since 1976. So great joy to welcome you, Christian. Thank you. Um, perhaps we could start by just outlining, outlining your work a little bit and how you came into this. Yeah, um, I can summarize our work in six words, recovery and growth after spiritual abuse. And if I break that down, um, I can say that we address the effects of what we consider the three key characteristics of all spiritual abuse, which is those three words you used just now, extremism, authoritarianism, and sectarianism. Um, do you want me to go into it? Well, I just, I'm just interested uh, how you got into this. I mean, you're, you've been going a long, long time. So um, yeah. you started in the United States, I believe? Yes, I did. Um, how did I get involved? Well, back in my teenage years, I had been a spiritual seeker myself. And along the way, I got pretty messed up by some of the things I was involved in. Uh, after I became a follower of Jesus, I started getting help from people who were like me and had experienced the dark side of spiritual seeking. And not, al- not long after that, I was working at a job and one of my work colleagues came over and wanted to have a chat with me and tell me about this group he was in. And I don't know why he did that, but he decided that I was the guy he was going to talk to about it. Um, I must have been able to help somehow because he started sending some of our other colleagues over in my direction to talk about the things that they were doing. Uh, if I fast forward, I'd gotten involved in, uh, well, I started training for the pastorate at the time, and I got involved in the counseling program at a, my local church. Spiritual abuse wasn't really a thing back in the 1970s, but the kind of people who were coming out of these abusive groups were starting to come to churches to look for help. And most church people didn't feel really comfortable talking to them, didn't really know what to do with them. They were confused, they were disturbed, they were coming out of out of an abusive situation, and they needed help. Because of my background, I felt comfortable talking to them, and somehow I guess got assigned, I guess you could say, I got assigned the job of taking care of people that other folks weren't sure what to do with. Um, I eventually I met some other people who, like me, were concerned about this and were looking for ways to really help. I learned a lot from them. I hope I contributed something to them as well. And in 1976, I came to the United Kingdom. Now, at that time, when I came here, I thought that all of that was a closed chapter of my life. But 
the next thing I knew, I found myself talking with people who had been spiritually abused um, and sometimes talking to people who had a loved one who had been spiritually abused and wanted help. Now, this was back when a lot of people, including some Christians, actually believed that deprogramming was an okay thing to do. By deprogramming, I mean holding someone against their will in order to persuade them to give up their beliefs or change their beliefs. To me, as a, as a Christian, I considered deprogramming abusive and morally indefensible. So I was one of those people in the early days working to create viable alternatives to kidnapping people. And after I'd worked for a while in cooperation with some family support groups and ex-member support groups, and working with an organization called Deo Gloria Trust, in 1985, I founded the Dialogue Center so that I could concentrate on the recovery orientation that I was developing. Right. <clears throat> and in 2000, we became a charity. Hmm. So that's the story. No, it sounds, fa sounds, sounds fascinating. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we, we're looking at Christians in leadership, uh, mm -hmm. including, of course, uh, you know, um, church leaders particularly. So it'll be valuable to discuss areas we can guard against, um, as, you know, in terms of our, our being leaders, but also spotting the kind of signs that might indicate uh, to a church leader that someone may be of affected, they may be in their church and, and may be showing signs. Um, so... Uh, I mean, it just strikes me having having chatted with you before the show and and reflecting a little bit as I've prepared the questions that that often Christian church leaders in their um, desire to see progress to help members grow can unwittingly fall into what you might call manipulation. Uh, well, they would regard it as as part of discipleship or part of growth, but of course. Um, you know, it, it's it looks at, it looks at it from a different angle. That could be abusive. Oh yes, yes. Uh, the the trouble is that with all of us, when we become absorbed in something we're working on, it becomes or it can become the most important thing in the world to us. Um, it's it's hard to explain this this tendency that we have until we go back and look at what the Bible says about this, uh, I find a lot of clarity in what John says in his first epistle when he talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. It's basically sex, money, and power. Um, we may not start out looking for, for these things, but we are by our nature prone to them. It's as simple as that. We can't, we can't pretend that we are above it all. We're, we're not. None of us are above it. Uh, but what can happen is we can get caught up in priorities that seem right at the time, but aren't the priorities of the, of the church, the priorities of the kingdom. And if we live by the priorities of people who don't love Jesus, we risk living lives that look just like lives of people who don't love Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's where the slippery slope begins. We start looking for success. We start looking for, for growth in terms of numbers, uh, in terms of money in, money out, in terms of programs, in terms of scheduling. And if that's how we measure being a good church, it pulls us away from saying, what is happening in the lives of each of these people? How are they affecting the people around them? Where is the character of Christ being developed in their lives? 
And once we put those things aside and just look at numbers, we're, we're losing our anchoring. We're losing our moorings. Yeah. So I think that's that's how it starts sure. for us. Uh, I mean, you'll know that local churches take seriously the injunctions to in Scripture to exercise church disciplines you know not not sure. doesn't happen a lot but but you know if, if someone fails to repent they fall into sin then then there are, you know there are there are verses in the new testament that that seem to encourage you know the disciplining you know uh, if you know, kind of putting pulling people out of the fellowship or whatever and different different churches have different language for it um and, and you know that uh, what where does that become abusive uh you know because look out from the outsider they think crumbs that's very harsh behavior yeah. um so so talk us through how you see that from from the angle of your, uh, the work that you do how many hours did you say this show is <laughs> fair enough yes uh, some, i don't know if you can order, give us some bullet points yes <laughs> for the sake of brevity i'm going to have to sure kind of make broad brush statements that to some people will sound really off the wall. I understand. I, understand. I, I think that's... I think we, it's, we, we, we offer, we're offering grace on this show, okay? Oh, <laughs> so. good. I'm really relieved to hear that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> just a few points that mean something to me. Um, and that is when grace... When, when discipline is practiced, um, it, the first thing I notice is that New Testament discipline is carried out or is meant to be carried out in a spirit of love and gentleness and humility with a view to restoration. That's clear in Galatians chapter 6. Yeah. Interestingly, it follows directly on from the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So he's talking about love, joy, and peace, and patience, and gentleness. And, you know, th this, is, this is the attitude he's saying we should be bringing to church discipline and he says that our church discipline is supposed to be aimed at restoring someone not punishing them restoring them unfortunately i think we get caught up with this idea from the world and i'm back to this idea of the priorities of the world um, the phrase tough love we're going to teach them a lesson we're going to 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 set them straight but that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as restoring someone. Tough love belongs in the world. It doesn't belong in the church. The example of Jesus, it seems to me, is that love will die for the beloved and not kill or not do harm. Right. Yeah. And you see what I mean? The early yes. Christians showed themselves ready to die for one another, yeah. die for Christ. And that, to me, is the Christian maturity that's required of anybody who wants to have any authority in the church especially when the church is exercising discipline. And I think that's the point Paul's making to the Galatians. Unfortunately, in my work, I hear of when it goes wrong. And I hear of discipline that's done with a sense of anger. And sometimes even, depending on what the sin is, it's done with a sense of revulsion. And it's as if we're more comfortable with the old covenant style of discipline, of you know expelling and expelling and purifying and, and throwing out and throwing away. But I think it's safe to say that's not what Christ is giving us as a, the way we should do it. Yeah. He talks about restoring your brother and recovering your brother. Um, there's a saying from a French Christian from a long time ago, the more vigor you need, the more gentleness and kindness you must combine with it. All stiff, harsh goodness is contrary to Jesus. And I think that's a good guideline for understanding um, how to do church discipline. 
That's, that's very helpful. Thank you. Well, we're coming to a break now, Christian. So you're listening to The Leadership File with, with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by uh, Christian Zerko, who's the founder of the Dialogue Centre, uh, which is, uh, amongst other things, uh, seeks to help and provide assistance from members and ex-members of abusive religious, political and philosoph- philosophical groups. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Christian Zerko. He's the founder of the Dialogue Centre UK, a non-denominational Christian organisation that offers assistance to the members and ex-members of abusive religious, political and philosophical groups and to their family and friends. We're talking before the break a little of uh, of his work and uh, the, the, the way in which sometimes church leaders can unwittingly perhaps or sometimes deliberately uh, kind of end up being abusive to to those uh, who they seek to care for particularly in, when it comes to matters of uh, of church discipline um so christian i'm i'm wondering whether you think that the leaders who abuse their positions of power typically seek leadership because this is in their nature or do they find the position of power is what leads to corrupt them do you see in the point so i see um, the point yes uh, is it is it always it you know both and or <laughs> i think it's an excellent question and you're right both times mm. it is both and yeah. um but then i would say that it not only is both and it's also both and and another thing right so with with your both and i would say that we have to to keep in mind that people who want to have power over others will be attracted to jobs that give them positions of power over others. Yeah. It's, it's a natural thing that we should expect. And we should be, if you like, culling applicants for these jobs for the tendencies to enjoy being in power. Yeah. Um, those people are not suitable for jobs where they're given power, obviously. And that probably belongs to all of our society, but never mind, that's that's not for us here. Sure. Um, some people want power because they want to use power to dominate the people around them in other ways. They want their money, they want to sexually abuse them, they want to enslave them in some other way. Other people just like the idea of power and recognition. They want power and glory, if you want to put it that way. Um, And then they may discover later that if they have power, they can use it to manipulate people and get the other things, the money, the sex, the slavery. now, that can include sexual predators, it can include con artists, and it can, can include bullies. It also can include people with mental health problems, um, the antisocial personality disorders, what used to be called psych- psychopathy and sociopathy and narcissism. Me, I just like to call them toxic because I'm more interested in the effect they have on the people around them than on assigning an arbitrary classification. Sure, sure. Toxic, toxic people do tend to gravitate to positions of power and authority and influence if they think it'll give them what they want. But you're right as well when you say that some people may be corrupted by power. That's a lot more complicated, but unlike the first thing, it concerns all of us. Not all of us want power over other people, but we are all capable of being corrupted by power, I believe. And I think that's likewise what, what the scripture is telling us. Even Jesus was, during the temptation, was tempted with being given the authority over the kingdoms of the world by Satan. You know, it's, it, it runs that deep. It's a fundamental temptation to be in control of other people. Yeah. And sometimes that can be initially 
somebody who's really well-meaning and has a great idea or he's learned something in his during his training as a pastor uh, and and he comes into a church like a broom sweeping clean and he's going to set the church right and the next thing you know he's bullying the church to try and make them do what he wants and from there it's downhill it's either going to be conflict or he's going to try and turn the church into a, a sect that he controls um, that's not the only way it happens but that is a way it happens the idealism is tainted by the realization that there's a shortcut to the ideal if you bully people or force people or frighten people into obeying you. Yeah. You see what I mean? No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, very helpful. And, and that means that they end up having to become more and more authoritarian and more and more um, elitist. Yeah. And once that happens, the church becomes really distorted. It stops being like the church to outsiders yeah yeah and then when i mentioned the this this thing about another thing and this to me is the most important thing of all far too often i think christians look for leadership qualities in people that are just like what the world considers good leadership qualities and that means that christians can be too ready to accept personality characteristics that have a higher potential for abuse because we see somebody who's ambitious, we see somebody who's uh, keen to build something out of nothing or to make something bigger, and we say, this guy will really build the church. Yes, but what will he build it into? Right, yes, indeed, yes. <laughs> I want to go back to the New Testament idea of leadership. It starts with the Lord himself, and we see it explained further, especially in Paul. And to me, that principle of leadership, I'm back to love again. Yeah, the yeah. definition of love isn't, I will exercise my power, but I will die even for my enemies. That's Christ's example of love. It's a towel and a basin to wash the feet of those he loved. Yeah. And then Paul goes on, and he applies that by saying, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bond slaves for Jesus' sake. That's not a polite love. That's a self-ignoring, self-sacrificial love that regards other people as more important than oneself in order to serve those people. Yeah. Can, well, can, can you just take that back? No, that's really helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. Can you just take that back into the question that you asked before about mm. church discipline. What if church discipline were carried out by people who looked at the person they had to discipline and if the thought in their hearts was, I am this person's bondservant for Jesus' sake, and he is more important than I am in this process, can you imagine how that conversation would go? Yeah. You wouldn't hurt somebody if you looked into their face and said, this person matters more than I do right now. Mm -hmm. I am his bond slave. I'm here to serve him, even though my job is to administer discipline, maybe even to ask him to take time away from the congregation. Despite that, I'm here to serve him. I'm here to love him because he is more important in this process than I am. Can you imagine what we would do? That's fabulous, fabulous approach. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can you say something, Christian, about um, leadership structures? I mean, many churches would have corporate leadership of some kind. Mm. Is that always a safeguard against poor practice? I think it would be if we weren't so shy. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we are we are naturally given to being shy and polite and very respectful to one another and not too intrusive. 
And now we're back to this idea of um, how to to act out this self-giving love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Uh, and it has to be a return to an absolute conviction that every one of us is fallible. Every one of us is a sinner so, saved solely by grace through faith. And every one of us can never believe that we could escape that reality that you know that we would never believe that i can become too spiritual to ever be wrong again that's just you know we we have got to move away from that and say no it's by grace that i stand and only by grace that i stand now once i say that then i'm going to build those structures of accountability for everybody that can't be bent or broken now i've been involved on a number of occasions over the years where there's been spiritual abuse in a fellowship and it's always turned out that the offender wriggled free from his accountability structure, if there even was one. Sometimes he just explained that he was above reproach and these other people didn't really understand what was going on. And it didn't matter what they thought they were wrong. Sometimes he claimed that he had the approval of a higher ecclesiastical authority and maybe even implied that if you interfere with me, it's professional suicide. And sometimes he just gets angry and scares his accountability partners into science, silence. Um, and of course, if the abuser is one of those higher ecclesiastical authorities, then all notions of accountability go out the window. So, you know, for an accountability structure to be effective, it seems to me there has to be a high degree of emphasis on prevention, with an eye, with an eye to avoiding anything that could make provision for abuse to occur right right and then there has to be this absolute idea there are no exceptions there's 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 no authority no preeminence no deference that will get you out of being accountable to the structure yeah. otherwise it's not accountability sure sure absolutely see what i mean yeah yeah sure. have to do at this point is say chris brain the nine o'clock service in sheffield and we see all of the or most of these things coming together to create a perfect storm of abuse simply because there were all sorts of reasons why accountability did not apply to Chris Brain. Yeah. <clears throat> and that was back, back in the 1990s, of course. We were damaged by that. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, so, so it's sadly times, times defeated us, Christian, but I do want to, uh, to give opportunity for you to share a little bit about, you know, some, some folk are listening and thinking, crumbs, this... this Strike a few chords, or maybe uh, they know folk who seem to be, you know, in 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 cultic or sex structures that that they they need help with. So how would they get in touch with you? Obviously, given that the nature of the thing, you you, you want to be very confidential in in the, in the way that they would do so. Everything we do is confidential here, um, to the point where our prayer partners get frustrated with us because they're used to prayer letters that give them far too much information right. uh, everything we do is confidential people don't get all the juicy tidbits of other people's lives from us sure, sure. ever uh, we do have a website it's very sparse right now and it's in need of a lot of work and I am working on it slowly but surely um, but it does explain a bit more about what we do and it has our contact details the website and I'll spell it because if you get the spelling wrong you end up at the wrong website the spelling is D-I-A-L-O-G-C-E-N-T-R-E 
www.org.uk. Um, once you're there, you'll get our phone number where you can leave a message or if you're lucky, get somebody on the other end. You'll find our email address. And if you'd like to go old school, you can send us a snail mail. Wonderful. Well, it's been terrific to chat with you. Uh, a very insightful. I say terrific in the nice sense of the word. It's not a not a pleasant topic to look at, but uh, but this will be a, a help uh, and, and a blessing to many who are listening. So thank you so much. My pleasure. So you've been listening to the Leadership File with with me, Andy Pecker. Again, the details. Christian Zerkos um, is the founding of the Dialogue Centre UK, uh, and the. Um, uh, again, I'm going to spell it out, and Christian can correct me, D-I-A-L-O-G-C-E-N-T-R-E dot O-R-G dot U-K. Was that correct? Perfect. Fantastic. So look forward to your company again next Sunday at uh, 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 